0: Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. From this 12th chapter of Romans, beginning with this ninth verse, this stands as the second part of our sermon title today. When the earth shakes, hold fast to what is good. Our scripture our other scripture from psalm 46 the echoes from last week and still reverberating into this week when things change when the earth shakes when mountains shake in the heart of the sea hold fast to what is good behind me is a an earthen vessel a jar a number of years ago i had the opportunity to participate and be a part of a medical mission trip to honduras at the conclusion of that powerful experience of, of being with both people from my place and interacting with beautiful people from that place uh, we went together and traveled to the Mayan ruins of Copan and it was there I, I bought this jar this um, Mayan or a recreation of a, a Mayan painting and Mayan earthen vessel I carefully had it packed in bubble wrap and carefully Put in a box and shipped back to my house. A couple of weeks later, it arrived. And tragically, when I took the bubble wrap off, the jar had been shattered, completely broken in a number of pieces, which I had to spend then the next several days carefully, strategically taking super glue and, and figuring out which pieces went where and, and trying to recreate that beautiful work of art. So from a distance, this earthen jar, this Mayan recreation, looks to be a lovely, intact uh, jar, when in fact, if you get close, you can see all kinds of cracks and creases and crevices and brokenness. I've had the great privilege of, of being a part of people's lives over the years, where they speak their truth, they tell their stories to me of brokenness, of hurting, of looking good on the outside and presenting themselves to the world as somebody who has it all together, when in fact, on the inside, they are crying out for acceptance and love and help. They are broken. Many of us, if we live long enough, have these times in our lives where we have been broken. We feel at wit's end. We we are searching for answers and wondering, what am I supposed to do now? We feel broken and we, we try as best we can to look good on the outside and, and present a smile when in fact on the inside we are really struggling. Our scripture in Romans today, picks up on this when the world shakes, when mountains are shaking in the heart of the sea, when things are unsettled. This idea in the 12th chapter of Romans of somehow conveying a sense of healing out of the brokenness. And the context of Romans 12 is very important. When we hear these words, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. These, what seem to be in English, a list of very important imperatives. Imperative, you remember, is simply like when your mother used to say, vacuum the floor, or don't go over there, or your father says, rake those leaves, mow that lawn. These are imperatives when we are given clear instructions about doing something. And Romans 12 sounds like just a series of one imperative after another, especially starting with verse 9. It it feels like we're being told this is what you're supposed to do as a loyal follower of Jesus, when in fact in English they sound like imperatives. But a lot of scholars say that, that in Paul's understanding and the way he's conveying this imagery and uh, speaking this to the church in Rome, that in fact, instead of being demands, commands, or imperatives, they are simply descriptions. It is more like, this is what love is like. This is what you are to be like because of, and this is the context now of Romans 12, because of the grace that you have experienced. Many of the chapters preceding chapter 12 in Romans are consistent in their reminding this congregation in the church in Rome about what God has done for them in their brokenness. God has been gracious, merciful. God has lifted them up and Healed their brokenness, reconciled their differences, and has brought them together as whole, beautiful human beings, offering themselves as sacrifices, living sacrifices to God. It's all about God's grace to every one of us. All the way back to Romans chapter three, so nine chapters prior to this one, we're reminded all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all broken people. We all may try our best to look good on the outside, but we are actually just an amalgamation of broken pieces struggling. And yet, we have been offered this incredible gift of God's grace, this salvation experience that changes our hearts and our minds, and therefore, rather than being a a lengthy list of demands, this is what you must do if you're a follower of Jesus, in fact it's the flip of that when you're a follower of Jesus these things emerge from your heart and your spirit because you have experienced God's grace you therefore can convey God's grace you become a channel of God's blessings through Jesus the context further is fascinating because what the, the letter to the church in Rome is really about is dealing not only with individuals like you and me who have been broken and struggling it is actually a fellowship that has been riven asunder it is very much in danger this early christian church is in terrible danger of being divided permanently in a way that that uh, paul and the other early church leaders sees as a potential tragedy so the the further background is Another part of our Bible in Acts, another book in the New Testament, in the middle of Acts, in chapter 15, there is what is called the Jerusalem Conference. This often kind of flies under the radar of most of our understandings of how the early church worked, but it's an illustration of how really divided that, that early community trying to follow Jesus was, that here these were people who were doing their best to see Jesus as the Lord of their lives, as God's uh, incarnation in the midst of these people. And yet they all had different understandings of what that meant. There were essentially two different divided groups. One was Jewish Christians. And a part of that Jewish Christian community was what we would call very uh, traditional Jewish Christians who felt that anybody who wanted to see Jesus as their Lord, Jesus as Messiah, needed to first become Jewish. That is, if they're men, they have to become circumcised. And for everyone, they have to learn the law of Moses and strictly abide by the laws of Moses. There's the other side of this division, and they're Gentile Christians. These are people who were not Jewish. They were people who very much were excited about following Jesus, had had their lives changed And yet they were being told by these more traditional folks from the Jewish perspective, you have to be like us, you have to become Jewish first before you can follow Jesus. Paul was in the middle, uh, essentially on the side of these Gentile Christians because he felt he was called to be the apostle unto the nations. That is, he was very Jewish in his perspective and he was also highly sympathetic to Gentiles who were not Jewish but who were yearning to be a part of this community of faith. So this Jerusalem conference takes place in the 15th chapter of Acts. We have uh, with scholars have come to understand that this Jerusalem conference probably was at least a year long. It's possible some scholars say that it was as long as five years roughly somewhere between uh, 48 AD and maybe up through 50 or perhaps even to 53 A.D., with these early Christians, traditional Jewish Christians, and what we could say maybe more progressive uh, Gentile Christians, trying to figure out how do we live together? What is the right thing to do? How do we be church? What is the best way to follow Jesus in in a, a way that reflects God's grace and God's love and how their lives have been changed. Well, this hopefully registers in some way about uh, what we experience today, whether it's within our churches, within the evangelical and broader Christian community, whether it is within our broader society in the United States and even in our global community of entirely different perspectives on how we're supposed to live our lives, much less how we are supposed to, as Christians, follow Jesus. What's fascinating is that Romans 12 really gets at the heart of trying to address both key issues, both for the Christian community and for the broader, what we could call, secular world. How do you live in this tension? Well, the Jerusalem Conference ultimately, in Acts chapter 15, was resolved partly because of Paul's perspectives that he articulates more fully in the whole letter to the church in Rome, or what we would call the book of Romans, and then specifically in chapter 12 of Romans. What happens in the 15th chapter of Acts is ultimately this resolution uh, is, is brought about by James, the leader of that early Christian church in Jerusalem, who also happened to be the brother of Jesus. And it is James who finally comes forward after this lengthy debate and attempts at compromise. And the, the words are fascinating. He decides, James does, that he, he has found in scripture in the prophet Amos uh, the, the words of truth that Paul all along has been trying to bring forth to this Jerusalem conference. And so what James ends up quoting is th- these words straight out of the prophet. Uh, After all this, I will return and rebuild the dwelling place of David, which has fallen from its ruins. I will rebuild it and set it up so that all peoples may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Uh, So James quoting Amos, who is quoting God, essentially saying this movement is for all people everywhere. Well, so the Jerusalem conference concludes with this grand compromise and this understanding that indeed Gentile Christians are welcomed into the the fold of the broader Christian church. What Romans 12 then is, is attempting, beginning with verse 9, is first of all within this Christian community where we're all trying to follow Jesus, but we have radically different understandings of what that means. We have to let love be genuine, not as an imperative, but as an outflowing from who we are and whose we are. What God has done for us in Jesus with this this acceptance, acceptance of us in our brokenness and the grace that heals us, and now allows us to be a part of that healing. I mentioned last Sunday the the Hebrew word tic, words the Hebrew phrase tekum olam, this Old Testament perspective that that moves beautifully into the New Testament that means simply the healing of the world. This is the expectation of God's people that we are to be healers of the world, not only of the the, the, the plants and animals and in, in God's creation of. Uh, plant life and, and creation life, but of all things, especially people whose lives like ours are broken and hurting. And we're all trying our best to reflect God's love because we have been given God's grace. What Paul then proceeds to do is give this, this lengthy list of this is what love looks like This is what God's grace reflected through our lives feels like. This brokenness that all of us have experienced now really is is not so much a broken clay vessel or earthen vessel, which Paul also uses in the Corinthian letters as uh, kind of representing our lives and our, our, our brokenness and how God works with our insufficiencies. But there's also this additional image for me that is a reflection of our brokenness and what God's grace does to us in allowing us to then be channels of God's love. And that is these broken pieces of glass. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, and the, the image of a stained glass window. Our broken lives with these different colored pieces that set out on a, a floor or shattered on a on the ground, really are just a sad testimony to brokenness. But in God's gracious healing power, these broken pieces can be shaped and framed into a stained glass window that on its own also doesn't look that great until it has light shining through it. And as the light shines through those multicolored hues, the the beauty is almost indescribable. Those broken pieces then become an amazing display of what God's grace does in our lives so that we then become reflections of or channels of God's love so that we can hold fast to what is good, not because we're strong enough and good enough, But because god's love shines through our broken pieces that has been our broken pieces having been put together by god's grace and healing so all these then rejoice and hope be patient in suffering persevere in prayer contribute to the needs of the saint saints extend hospitality to strangers aren't imperatives as much as they are simply reflections of god's love being channeled through us because Of God's grace we then are capable of doing these things and being these things not because of us but through our brokenness because of God in Jesus it continues and then after the 13th verse that's kind of how we are to be within the the Christian community but even more broadly verse 14 shifts now in this subtlety of now bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep live in harmony with one another do not be haughty you hear this powerful word for those days of people living within this broader empire of a lot of folks who had no concept of what christians believed didn't care and in some cases didn't like them And yet the clear call is to allow God's light to shine through us, beyond us, beyond this Christian community, in the broader world that we're a part of and must be used to bring about healing. God's grace has healed us. God's grace can allow us to facilitate healing in us, in those around us, in our, our Christian community, in our broader community, in our American community, in our global community. Romans 12, Acts 15, Psalm 46 testimonials to the tensions that we all live in in every age and bold, beautiful witness of how broken pieces not only can be made into something that looks okay, but into a window that shines beautiful light that can bring healing unto the nations, can heal the world. We share together in what we call the Lord's Supper because we recognize the power in our Christian community of living these words out of understanding what it is that god has done for us in jesus when jesus raised the bread before his disciples he said this is my body broken for you this do as you remember me and in the same way jesus lifted the cup of the new covenant and said this is my blood shed for you this also do in remembrance of me brothers and sisters in our shared brokenness in the fact that we often feel like this clay earthen vessel that's just barely hanging on the truth is we you and I are yes broken pieces but stained glass where the light shines through and makes beautiful our lives and our world. Thanks be to God. Amen.